On today's episode, Mortgage Jake joins us to give his top five reasons why he's bullish heading into 2021. Stay tuned. Welcome to the True Condos Podcast with Andrew LaFleur, the place to get the truth on the Toronto condo market and condo investing in Toronto. Hi there. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for tuning in. Your host here, as always, Andrew LaFleur from True Condos, and glad you could join us on today's episode. So we have a special guest returning to the show once again, Mortgage Jake, a.k.a. Jake Abramowitz, and Jake is one of the top mortgage brokers in Canada, and he's been on the show, as you may know, numerous times over the years. And so Jake recently sent out an email to uh, some folks, myself included, on his top five reasons why he is bullish heading into 2021 on the real estate market. And as soon as I saw that, I said, you know, this is really great stuff. I want to get this content out to more people. So Jake, let's jump on a podcast and and go over these points and talk about this stuff in more detail. So here we are, and we're going through Jake's five points and uh, and a few extra bonus points on why he's bullish heading into 2021. Now, look, obviously everything is not rosy and the world is basically upside down right now and it's been a really weird and wild and wacky and up and down and amazing and terrible year. That is 2020. Real estate market certainly included in that, but just life in general. So um, Jake has has always been um, very positive and um, uh, positive outlook uh, with respect to the real estate market throughout this year and, and just following him on social media and Facebook and Twitter and, and just the content and videos and stuff that he puts out. It's been great. So thanks, Jake, for doing what you're doing and thanks for coming on the show again. Um, and uh, yeah, so let's jump into this interview here with Jake and I hope you enjoy it. If you want to get a hold of me, of course, as always, Andrew at truecondos.com is my email. You can call or text me at 416-371-2333. And you can get the show notes for this episode and and links to Jake and his social media and all that uh, on truecondos.com slash podcast uh, anytime. So without further ado, here's my interview with Mortgage Jake. Jake, you ready? You ready to do this? Ready, man. Welcome back. Or All right. Yes, welcome back, back to you. Thank you for welcoming yourself back to the pod. Uh, it's been a while, but yeah, we've had you on the pod, obviously, a number of times. Very popular guest. Got a lot of great feedback whenever you're on the show. People love uh, hearing from you, Jake, and, um, and uh, looking forward to this conversation here about your, these are your top five, not mine although I probably agree with all of them, uh, but uh, your top five reasons why you're bullish heading into 2021. So hit us with it, Jake. So hit us with, uh, with number one, number one well, reason. Uh, as we mentioned in our little discussion before we went live, you know, this year has been a record year for a lot of people in real estate. And sometimes when that happens, you always think, well, maybe this is the best it'll be. But frankly, I, I'm a pretty balanced broker i find that i don't i'm not always bullish on real estate it's not always rah rah but going into 2021 i'm seeing a lot of signs that i think will propel this market in a very positive direction as we are heading into the end of the year in a positive direction i think moving forward we will and realistically the first reason that i that i've seen or or come up with is 
I've never seen this level of savings rates from Canadians. Uh, Deloitte estimates we're going to save $200 billion. And I mean, the finance minister comes online or on TV and says to us, hey, this is how we should, this should be one reason or one way that we should propel the economy by saving, by spending that savings. And eventually we're going to spend those savings into real estate. Uh, a lot of people will catch up on their RSPs, RESPs, renovations, whatever else they have going. And they will look at real estate as an asset class that has performed so well in the long term, 20 years plus, where that money will translate it to people buying real estate. Uh, and, and again, so that's reason number one. Savings rates are crazy. Now, a lot of that is propelled by the government programs. I get it for sure. Uh, but frankly speaking, I think with that level of money that people will have, not only will real estate directly be affected, but indirectly by way of people renovating. So that's an indirect benefit to real estate because the stock of the housing will rise and then those people will maybe sell those properties or buy rental properties and convert them to multifamily units, something I'm doing right now. So I, I just think savings rates are going to be a very big trigger in a real estate, uh, not rebound, but a continuation of a strong bullish market. Right. So basically, people are Canadians are just sitting on record amounts of cash. And uh, yep. what do you what do you think is sort of behind that? Yeah, the numbers are sort of astronomical. You look at the savings rate, just how much money two hundred billion dollars of uh, money that people have accumulated. They're just sitting on over the last you know nine months of this pandemic. What is sort of driving that? And and. Uh, when do you think the taps are good? You know, when is that money going to start to stop being saved and start getting it into the economy? I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm a perfect example of this. And you too, Andrew, we haven't gone to a rapper game in, I don't know how long, a year now <laughs> or, or close to it, right? No, not yeah, a year, yeah. uh, nine months, 10 months. And look, uh, for full transparency, I, I, I buy season seats to the rappers and, and guess what? I've saved a crap ton of money not going. Yeah. not hosting clients, not hosting realtors, not hosting a, a box like we had last year around this time. You can't go out for dinner. You can't travel. I mean, another thing, I haven't taken a trip in nine months. And I, I don't want your listeners to think, oh my God, he hasn't taken a trip in nine months. Boo-hoo. I mean, in general, we are not spending as money, our money in the ways that we have in the past. We're staying at home. We're not spending money on clothes, maybe tech, maybe food takeout, but Really, we're saving a lot of it because there just isn't any money to spend. And obviously, with the first wave of vaccine rollout, I'm thinking by summer, we will start to see a lot of this money start to get pumped into the market, uh, into the economy. And, and that's when, hopefully, we will see a rebound in the economy. Hopefully, stores will reopen, no more curbside pickup. And hopefully, we all do what we're supposed to do, get vaccinated, keep a distance, et cetera. But I'm seeing by, by summer... If we don't see a, a Raptor game, a Blue Jay game in the stands, it'll be, I'll be surprised. Second reason, moving on to number two. Well, well reason, reason number two is tied to reason number one. So I'm going to sit on a pile of cash and I've got enough for a 20% down payment for an investment condo or a pre-construction unit or, or a resale house. And I'm going to say to myself, okay, well, sure, I'll put 20 down because I'm borrowing money at 0 0.99, 1.29, 1.49%. So Interest rates are going to stay exceptionally low historically for a long run. Bank of Canada said yesterday again, we plan and say it, they, 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 they insinuated rates will stay low for until 2023. Well, when rates are very low and you have the savings to put as a down payment and you can withstand that 
potential $200 a month loss in your rental income, as one really silly Bloomberg article pointed out with one person that they interviewed. Well, if you can withstand that because you have very good savings, you've got the 20 down, why wouldn't you leverage and lock in for a five, seven year rate at one and a half percent on a rental property? I mean, I believe it was 72% of your payment goes to principal at one and a half percent. So while rates are going to stay low, consumers' confidence will be high and say, oh, I've got my money saved. I'm making good money and rates are cheap. So that I think will propel people to keep wanting to maybe invest in real estate as one of their ways of spending their money. And one reason why I'm second reason why I'm very bullish on real estate moving forward. Extremely low rates. Yeah. Give us some perspective. So rates right now hovering around one and a half percent ish. Um, Where were they 12 months ago at this time? So rates 12 months ago, good question. <clears throat> right before the pandemic, we saw rates go in the two and a quarter, two and a half. Some lenders in um, uh, February, March, almost even touched 3%. TD Bank was like at 289 in, uh, in February, March. And we all thought, oh, great. Here's a pandemic. People's mortgage payments are going to go up. Yes, we had a deferral, but we didn't know about that program at the time. Payments will go up for a lot of maturities and renewals. This is going to crush the market because the market is very primarily driven by interest rates. It's been something I've been saying for years, almost now decades. Uh, interest rates drive what people's psychology and confidence. And so at the beginning of the year, I thought, oh, okay, well, all these people that could have renewed earlier on in the year at like 199 and now renewing at 249, 279, and people locked in like crazy because they thought rates would skyrocket on variable. No one wanted to touch variable. So the majority of people locked in at fixed. And now they're all calling saying, Hey, I got a mortgage of 249. Can I break it to get 149? Well, most likely it makes sense to do so. So rates were 1% higher a year, uh, less than a year ago. And so here we are with a, a rate sale, a rate discount. Yeah. And yeah, 1% in a year, which is, yeah, roughly, I mean, that's like, you know, rates are down, I guess, from high twos to mid ones. So you're talking like 50% difference. Yeah, yeah. And the rate in a year. Not insignificant. Not insignificant. Yeah. And then the Bank of Canada had a change in governors. So now we have a new guy, Tiff McCallum. And he has been very vocal, more vocal than our previous uh, uh, guy, Stephen Polos. And he said, look, rates will stay low. If you are looking at making a major purchase, now is the time to do so. And I've never heard a central bank governor ever say that or do that. So that's a, that's a, a very bullish thing for me. When I'm being given an assurance, whether you go variable or fixed, rates will remain low for a while. Point number three, deferral cliff. So for those of us who don't know, remind us, what is the deferral cliff and how do you look at it? What does it mean to you? So we all know April happened or March happened, world shut down. Uh, Lenders created very quickly a very strong deferral program for up to six months. We now know how easy it was to apply for. We now know that it was literally with most lenders, click, click, get. I know from my experience, I had no income in interruptions, but I called RBC the day that they offered it. I said, hey, how does this work? Oh, you know what? Just tell us, uh, do you need a deferral? Well, sure, maybe. And it's there for the taking. So the deferral cliff is a term that I believe Evan Siddall from CMHC came up with and said, hey, after six months, everybody, watch out because all of these buffaloes that are running running on a, on a mountain are going to fall off the cliff 
because now they can't afford to pay their mortgages. Well, early on, Home Trust, which is a very strong alternative lender that deals a lot with people with impaired credit or self-employed clients or multi-multi-multi-unit investors, et cetera, they were one of the first lenders that said, early on, as in late in the game, in the deferral game, a few months in, they said, well, a lot of our clients are coming back to pay. Like, oh, that's interesting. Let's see what the big banks say. 83% of deferrals have gone back to normal with Royal Bank. And that's the biggest lender in Canada with the most deferrals that was outstanding, obviously, by numbers. That, to me, says there is no cliff. There is a very gentle slope that clients are readjusting and pivoting uh, to pay their number one asset on time. Our non-payment rate went from 0.33 to 0.66. That means if you're more than one month late, 0.66% of all mortgages in Canada are more than one month late at this time. That's an extremely low number when you consider almost 25% of American mortgages in 2008 were late at least one month. So the deferral cliff is not a cliff. The deferral program has slowly wound its way through the system. And thankfully, Canadians are able to readjust, make those payments on that mortgage. And that's, that's an extremely good bullish sign. That means that, hey, I got, out of the, I got out of the fog. Now I'm confident. Rates are still low. Maybe I can refi. Maybe I can do this. Maybe I can buy real estate and invest. So point three and point four really are, are together. And the fourth point, not, not to jump the gun, but they're, they're very closely tied. Insolvencies are down year over year. So insolvencies October are lower than insolvencies October 2019. So wait, so the deferral cliff never uh, caused a 5 to 19% drop in prices like Evan suggested. There is no massive deferral cliff that's happened because RBC 83% of people are back to paying. And now people who are, who are bankrupt or are going consumer proposal is down year over year. Again, that's a very healthy sign for me that people will be in a good position to take advantage of low rates and to take advantage of certain segments of the market that are not doing great. We'll talk about that later and invest in the market and create long-term wealth. So point three and point four, deferrals, insolvencies, to me is a very strong indicators, indicators that I'll, that's why I'm very bullish in 2021. So deferral, the deferral cliff basically was a, was, was a gentle slope. It was, it was not a cliff at all. The road uh, remains very easily traveled. Um, and, and basically people def- deferred their mortgages because they could. It was very easy. But then when the time came up, like good Canadians, they all fell in line and paid their mortgages again. Um, and then, like you said, the, this, we have some recent data saying that insolvencies, people declaring bankruptcy are, is actually lower now than a year ago, which is insane to think of, but that is reality. And that brings us to point number five, your fifth point, why you're bullish heading into next year. Um, talk about CMHC and, and some of the programs that are available. Cause for some reason, I know you've been talking a lot about it on Twitter and whatnot, but nobody's really talking about this new program that CMHC announced. So the average price of a Toronto condo is 622,000. That's, that's a number that is, is set in stone today. The CMHC program that came out before the pandemic happened, the first round of like, you know, first time buyer initiative maximized or, or set a cap of $505,000. This means if you're a first time buyer, with less than 20% down, say you have 5% down, uh, the government was going to lend you another 5% and not charge you interest on it, not charge you payments on it. 
This would bring down your monthly payments. This would bring down your CMHC premium. But when you sell the property or refinance it, you have to pay the government back their 5% plus whatever percent gain. So say your property goes up 10% in value, you pay them back, say you got 25K, you pay them back 25K plus 2,500. Not a major, not a major problem. Your government's helping you, so they want a little bit piece of the pie. But 505 grand isn't gonna get you anything in 416. So what Trudeau and, and liberals did was they raised the purchase price to a max of 722. So now a first time home buyer can get this initiative as long as they don't buy a property over 722,000. And yes, this also applies to pre-construction. So great, amazing. What they also did was they increased the income to debt ratio from four times to four and a half times. And four and a half times is very realistic. Four times income and 505K max, that took a lot of buyers out. I believe only 2,000 buyers as of March used this program. This program has allocated $1.25 billion to be used. And guess what? It, it used 4% of its entire budget. So at 722K maximum, at four and a half times income, I think a lot of people will now move into condos because they're seeing condo prices are not doing great today. Well, hey, listen, every market takes a breath. Why not jump in when the condo market's not doing so great? Although that won't last very long, it'll do great again. And why not take advantage of this program? Or at least let's look at this program. Let's, let's have a dialogue. And when programs come out and loose and markets get a little bit looser, this means people are chatting about it. Then they look at interest rates, say, oh, rates are super cheap. Then they look at insolvencies, they're really low. The deferral program's done. Then they look at their savings, I've got 5% down. Well, all of this leads to a nice, perfect storm of me being bullish. And the second reason, and this is not a program that is announced, but it almost came out this year where the stress test was finally going to roll back a little. This, they, they agreed in principle, OSFI and the government and everybody agreed that the stress test, instead of using a very archaic 4.79% interest rate, they were finally going to say, we, we need you to prove that you can afford your mortgage at 2% higher than your contract rate. So I'll give you an example. So right now, client making 100K can borrow 4.5, 4.6 roughly times income using today's stress rate. But that client's borrowing money at 1.49%. They have to prove the government they can afford a mortgage at 4.79. Andrew, me and you are going to see a third Raptor championship by the time for the rate will hit 4.79%. So the, the government's like, okay, wait a second. Maybe we can modify it. Let's keep a stress test. Let's make it plus 2% of your contract. So instead of 4.79, your contract rate is 1.49. Let's make the stress test 3.49. Prove to me you can afford a mortgage at 2% higher in case your income doesn't rise in five years at maturity, et cetera. Well, that 100K borrower can now borrow $522,000. So instead of four and a half, they go up to 5.2 times income. And that gives them more buying power, but still keeps the bears happy and the, and the alarmists and the risk averse people happy that the stress test is still in place. I believe that when the pandemic gets wound back, we should see some kind of re revisit of that stress test change because otherwise I'd, I'd, I'd be shocked if they don't do it. We just have to see how the market plays out uh, until then. So these government programs, I'm very bullish on because they create dialogue and they create optimism and confidence goes up. 
Yeah, it's it's the stress test at this point is just wild when you look at where interest real interest rates are in the in the mid ones and the stress test sitting in the high fours, four point seven nine. I mean, the gap used to be, uh, you know, when the stress test first came out, I think it was a it was around two percent higher than yeah. actual rates at that time. You're like, ah, okay, whatever. You know, it, it they pulled an arbitrary number out of the air and they said, okay, you got to prove it. you can do two percent higher, everybody. Uh, sure, whatever. Let's go for it. Or the posted rate, the posted whichever rate, is yeah. higher rather than whichever is lower. Right. I want to be clear with your listeners. Variable rate mortgages are always stress tested. One to four year mortgages are always stress tested at the 4.79%. They always have been and they always will be at the posted rates. Although it took, a few years ago, there were some minor nuance changes. A five year fixed mortgage should not be stress tested at right now plus 325 basis points right because it just doesn't <laughs> the, make a lot of sense yeah and the, and and the bank of canada is telling us they're not going to raise rates they're literally coming out and saying we're not touching rates for like for 3 years and then they're also saying oh by the way you have to prove that you you can take a, a rate you can pay a rate that's 320 basis points higher than your rate even though we're also telling you that will never happen that's it's right. just, That's uh, right. it's crazy and illogical, but at the same time, uh, it is, uh, like you said, it's, uh, it's a conservative, um, you know, stopper in the system to prevent, uh, to prevent demand and, and house prices rising too rapidly. And, you know, it is working to achieve that end, I suppose. But like you said, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll see some slight adjustments there. Just again, for historical purposes, I mean, you talk about, you know, you can get a mortgage today for roughly, you know, 4.5 to 5-ish times your income, broadly speaking, you know, as a rule of thumb. That's a number that, you know, we in the industry, we know that, especially you in the mortgage side. Um, but a lot of people on the street and even just real estate investors and buyers, they're, they're not, they don't really think in that way, I find, and they're kind of that's like, oh, that's a good thing to know when I when I give that number to them. But historically speaking, Jake, like you've been in this game a long time. Take us back to the old days. Like what was that number five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago? Because uh, it used to be a lot higher. It used to be a lot higher, but prior to October 2016, for a long stretch prior to that, you could have qualified a five-year mortgage at the five-year fixed rate. So the Prior to October 2016, I could have qualified a first-time buyer with less than 20% down at seven and a half times income because I was using the five-year fixed contract rate. Even though rates were three and a half-ish percent back then, it was still much easier to qualify. The Government of Canada five-year posted rate was never such a massive talking point until 2016, 2017. But certainly the Government of Canada posted rate was as high as five, nine, nine, six and a quarter in the past decade. And so some variable rate mortgage clients who had to qualify at that rate had to prove they could qualify at that rate back then. <clears throat> but stress test was never a discussion point. There were many lenders making exceptions, changing the rules, et cetera. So there was a lot of exceptions happening. So it was never like, hey, Andrew, you can only borrow four and a half times at variable and seven times at fixed because there was a lot of wiggle room. Because back then, you know, things were a little looser than they are today, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, depends on how you look at it. Yeah, it's just, it's amazing how much things have changed just in five, 10 years from more than seven times your income to, you know, as low as four times your income. Uh, I You tweeted something about, you know, you used to be able to get 
what was it like zero percent down zero mortgage down, with the cash M. back or something? Hundred. It was called GMAC I one hundred seven. I did a mortgage for a guy in Brampton. I will never forget. It was one of the only times I did it. it was three hundred twenty k purchase price, and he got something like three hundred thirty five thousand, three hundred forty k. He did an I one hundred seven percent, hundred and seven percent financing. The program was meant to give you the down payment, the closing costs. And even they said in the brochure, and enough money left over for furniture. So this guy bought a house with nothing to his name. Yeah. He may have had something, but he just chose to leverage. Right. The rates were high as hell. They were five and a half percent. But right. hey, you know what? That guy sitting on a million dollar property now, had he not moved? Yeah. So, you know, fact of the matter is that was the, the real wild west of financing. And this was 10, 12, 15 years ago. It was a while ago. But, but yeah, that's just, that's... Uh, that's where that's maybe why we are here where we are. But the government did do a good job of opening up the market, 40-year amortization, zero down. And then really fastly or rapidly, the conservative government and the liberal government changed it and, and made it tighter, 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 tighter. We've seen 11 rule changes in the past decade and not definitely not the last one. So I don't want to blame any government level for creating the bubble slash non-bubble. And I don't want to blame any government for making it tighter. It's just, it's been a, a nonpartisan thing, I guess, if you will, or partisan. It goes both ways, yeah. yeah exactly. So I know you like a good debate, Jake. So we don't have a bear on right now to debate with you, but I'll pretend to be one right now uh, and throw some stuff back at you, see what you say to your to your five reasons for being bullish. You know, the obvious, you know, what about this de- devil's advocate is, Jake, we're in a recession right now, aren't we? I mean, uh, unemployment is way up, um, you know, retail is dying businesses are closing you know a lot of people are struggling right now how can you be bullish on real estate uh when we're supposed to be in a recession like what historically when have we ever seen a recession where real estate prices have have gone up or real estate markets have gone up yeah that's it first of all to all the business owners and people affected by this i i drive by hotels restaurants it literally breaks my heart to think I cannot wait to go back and spend as much money as I can at those places to, to keep them alive. I'm trying to do local shopping, avoiding Amazon, et cetera. Andrew, you're very right. We're in a massive recession that we've never seen in our lives, but it's really a tale of two recoveries. The, unfortunately, the people who have been impacted the most tend to skew to the lower income earners and tend not to be the people who are buying property. The people who are buying property tend not to be affected as much by the recession. So if you're collecting CERB, you're not getting a mortgage, period, end of story. So you are not the person that I'm saying will be back in the game or at least will continue to be in the game moving forward. But the people that I have seen in the game are people who haven't been affected by the recession, people whose income has continued to stay steady, maybe dip a little but def- or maybe go up a little, and people in the industries that haven't been affected by it, therefore, they're continuously buying, moving out of the city, buying within the city, et cetera. So, yes, we're seeing a big recession. However, the one, pe- the one group of people affected by it mostly are the ones that aren't typically buying property today anyway. So I'm not as concerned. I want those people to work again. They're all part of the cog, the system, et cetera. But I just don't think that they're impact is going to and has caused an impact. I look at my buyer sheet and I think all these people are working. They're they're all making money. They're all saving money. They've all got great investments. And that's another point. If you look at people's stock portfolios, uh, mutual fund portfolios, 
stocks are up like crazy. And that is giving people also some confidence. So I, I, I feel bad for those people, but I just don't think that they are in the market right now. What about, uh, what about people who say the condo market specifically? Sure, yeah, the housing market is, is flying because people you know, can work from home and everybody's moving further and further away and they're buying cottages and they're moving to Prince Edward County and, and all this. But Jake, the downtown condo market, it's, it's hurting so bad. It's going to drag the whole market down. There's, there's so many condos available for sale and for rent right now that's going to be yep. a huge problem and a huge headwind for the real estate market in 2021. What do you say to that? I don't disagree with that in terms of a potential headwind. What I'd like to say is if someone wants to dive really deep into the stats and tell me what percentage of investors own condos versus end users. And the reason that's important, when you're selling your condo, you're wanting to move up into the market if you're, if you're an end user. But if you're an investor, you're not looking to move up into the market. So you're going to hang on to your asset class Hopefully you don't have to sell it while prices are lower and rents are a little bit lower. So I, I disagree with it being a massive headwind, but it certainly is on my radar to see, you know, a young couple, each of, each of them on a condominium. Now they want to sell each unit and buy a property. Well, unless they bought that condo in March of 2020, they probably have accrued a lot of equity anyways. They bought it in 18, 17, 16, 15, 14. I mean, the clients that I speak that have bought pre-construction of yours for 260K in Regent Park and now refinancing at 500, 600,000. Hey, maybe off the peak in March, 2020, the numbers are a bit lower, but unless they bought it then, they have a lot of equity already. So I don't think that's going to be such a big headwind that some people are saying. From an investor perspective, if you can afford to hang on, hang on, don't sell. Because guess what? Uh, point number six, why I'm bullish on real estate, a bonus point. Bonus Amazon, point. Shopify, Dream, all reinvesting back into Toronto office space. Now, uh, someone on Twitter said yesterday, yeah, but those are the biggest company in America, the biggest company in Canada. Okay, fair enough. Very good point. But those companies have all contracts with other service providers that have to provide them with solutions as well. Amazon doesn't do everything in-house. They outsource. Shopify doesn't do everything in-house. They outsource. And those small companies, part of the ecosystem, will also need to come back and reopen their downtown Toronto offices. To the people who moved out to Prince Edward County, I salute you. You've made a great life change <laughs> and I hope it works. But guess what? When I'm at the Raptor game with Andrew LaFleur and they're, they're down by two in the last quarter, it's gonna take you three hours to drive plus half an hour traffic by the gardener. You're gonna wanna come back. When restaurants are back, bars, this, there's a reason you love living downtown because the city when it's alive is amazing. You walk down, you walk down, uh, you know, Liberty Village or King, Queen West during the peak of the summer, during the, the best years of our lives, the city's alive. And I think it will come back. And I just don't, I don't see that case where that is going to cause a massive problem because I think people will come back into condos. And what does Buffett say? Buy on fear, sell on greed. So I'm not saying you have to buy a condo today, but I'm certainly saying it is a massive opportunity for you to do so. The big B word. I know you love you. You love it. It gets nothing gets you fired up on Twitter than the big B word, bubble. Oh, yeah. um, and so, what what do you say to those people who say, Jake, like this is unsustainable? Like all the, especially the low rise market prices rising so much, uh, real estate booming in a recession. People 
taking on bigger mortgages than than ever before. Uh, there's a massive debt bomb coming our way. It's a it's a bubble. House prices rising 10, 15 percent. It's all gonna it's all gonna come crashing down, isn't it, Jake? Yeah, it it, it very well might, Andrew. And let's uh, let's put our money where our mouth is. Well, I don't believe it is. You don't believe it is. So I put my money where my mouth is. I would love for someone who's a bubble theorist to do the same. They just can't. It's very hard to short Toronto housing. There is no ETF that shorts Canadian housing stocks, or, or I mean, there, there isn't really. Uh, I have been hearing the bubble chat for a long time. I talk to a lot of 905 realtors, especially in the East right now. Uh, and just for reference, I deal with about 92 real estate agents all across the GTA. So I, I talk to a lot of them in different pockets, especially in the East. A lot of clients have moved from a condo to a house or the backyard, et cetera. Is there a mini bubble forming there? I don't know if I'd call it a bubble. Same thing happened in 2017 when a lot of buyers were buying 905 properties. Then the foreign buyer tax hit and boom, that market overnight shifted. And guess what? People snapped up properties much cheaper in 2017 and that market came back and now it's doing great. Uh, the bubble chat has been happening since literally I've almost started being a mortgage broker. One of the Globe and Mail columnists that I referred to from the May article about a pandemic, deferral cliff bubble, et cetera, uh, he said, well, listen, you know, this uh, bubble has been infused by generous government grants and programs. I've heard it over and over and over. As long as interest rates remain at crazy low levels, under 2%, and so much of your money goes towards paying your principal, I just don't think we are in a bubble. As long as we have this very rigid stress test and underlying underwriting guidelines, we are not in a bubble right now. We are very reasonably lending four and a half to five and a half times income. We're looking at credit with a fine tooth comb. Lenders are making sure that uh, that uh, pandemic has an impacted uh, incomes as well. Credit, deferral programs. If you're on deferral, you got to get off deferral before you get a mortgage. Guys, lenders aren't just throwing money around like it's monopoly money. It's still really not easy to get a mortgage. You still got to prove a lot of things and assets, et cetera. So I, I just don't see a bubble. A bubble is when money is free and it's easy to get. And right now, money is only easy to get because the rates are low, but the stress test makes it hard to get. So I, I disagree and I'm buying. So what does that tell you? I believe in the market long term. Great transition to that. my next question, which is what are you buying or what are you looking at buying right now? Uh, you sort of alluded to it a couple of times, so I'm sure people are very, very interested to hear. Where do you see personally, um, you know, where do you see opportunity in the market right now, uh, specifically as an investor? So I'm looking still at properties that have development potential, that have multi-unit residential maximum four units, because those are the easiest to finance, anything five units plus becomes commercial. I'm looking at semi-detached or detached properties that are single family that can be converted to multiple unit. Uh, and I'm also looking at condos, frankly, because I, I love the idea of having an asset class. And you you taught me very well about this. We, we, we hung out a couple of months ago or a month ago. And I said, you know, you know, what about condos, like the maintenance fees, you know, all the things that you hear from other people that are against condos. And you said to me, Jake, you know, my tenants, I don't hear from them. I don't have to fix the roof. I don't have to worry about waterproofing, the windows, this, this. I just get my deposit check every month. And ever since that conversation, I thought, you're absolutely right. This is a turnkey investment that I don't have to worry about for the long term if I buy it. 
a relatively newish building. Could be pre-con, could be, could be resale, doesn't matter. So I'm looking for great floor plans, two unit, corner units, one parking, maybe not necessary. A lot of people don't drive downtown. Anywhere along the subway line, I'm just looking for value. I'm just looking for something I can get. And I'm using relatively affordable, or not affordable, but reasonable market rents that I think I can get. People are still renting properties. Don't, you know, don't get me wrong. And if you look at the heat maps of COVID levels, I was shocked that I was looking at one of the heat maps of Toronto. And I think you posted this. And I'm looking downtown at CO1, CO8, you know, the prime downtown areas. And COVID levels are very low down there. And we all thought, oh, my God, people are running away from condos because everyone's going to get COVID. And yet we're talking 1% COVID rate. In my neighborhood, it's 3%. In the lower income neighborhoods and in Kleinberg, it's 20%. So what does that tell you? It's not about how closely you live. It's about how your community adapts or doesn't adapt and how it uh, behaves together. So that to me is a really good sign that the downtown neighborhoods, part of that reason is people aren't moving around as much. Phenomenal, great. The lockdown is helping. Okay, great. But it also makes me think that I think too many people are poo-pooing on condos right now. And I think we should start. I'm looking at that as, a, as an opportunity for sure, especially something with a tenant already that's not looking at moving, that's paying a fair rent, that doesn't want to renegotiate, or one that I can buy a property and get a good tenant in there tenants. So that's, those are the two opportunities I'm looking at. And I've never looked at condos as closely as I have now. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I know you're a big, uh, multifamily guy and that's, that's where you've, 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 uh, put your bread and butter over the years, but yeah, I think, uh, it's no secret. I think a lot of people are looking at the condo market now, whereas two, three months ago there was, there was, uh, people were running for the exits I think we're definitely anecdotally definitely seeing a lot of investors coming back to the resale condo market specifically and saying, hold on a second here. Prices are down, uh, you know, around 15% or so from the, the pre-COVID highs. Rents are down massively, yes. But as you said, people are still renting. These units are still renting. They're still, many of them are still, you know, they're renting out in a week. Yeah. Uh, like we're sort of used to. It's just they're renting for significantly less, don't get me wrong, than they were before. But how long do you think that is going to last, uh, these ridiculously low rents where we're seeing, you know, some uh, small towns in southern Ontario are getting higher rents than downtown Toronto condos right now? Like it's, it's yeah. uh, going back to the Buffett, famous Buffett quote, right? Well, buy, our, our, buy on fear. Well, there is so much fear. People are literally afraid of elevators right now. Yeah. Not, not figuratively. They are literally afraid to go in an elevator and hence that is affecting the price of the asset. Well, again, this, we know intuitively that this will not last forever. This is a short-term thing. People will get, we will get back in the elevator and, uh, yeah. yeah, life will return to normal, and this will all be a, a distant memory at some point, probably pretty soon. So, when that happens, uh, it's it's going to be too late. You've missed the opportunity. The time is now, and and a lot of people are starting to wake up up to that right now. And and we're starting to see some positive from the numbers uh, in the condo market. We're starting to see those inventory numbers coming down a little bit. Uh, there's starting to be signs that you know the bottom might already have actually happened. So, so our, good friend, our good friend on uh, Twitter, Mark Savell, 
They yep. mentioned he's seen three multiple offer situations on rentals this week. Again, anecdotally, sure. Uh, I have seen multiple offer on condos as well as a purchase. So it's not something that is absolutely impossible to believe. And you're right, man, that window. So the 2017 foreign buyer tax window really did, or, or not window, but impact did impact the 905 market, Durham region especially. I have some clients that bought a detached house, 60 by 100 lot for 600 grand that was selling for 800 grand a year before. That window was so short-lived. And I think the same thing will happen here. Now, back then, we didn't have a pandemic. But we also didn't have a vaccine. Reason number seven, tip bonus reason, why I'm very, very bullish. How fast this vaccine came, how fast we're getting it in Canada, et cetera. We didn't have a vaccine this quickly to our problems. And yeah, it's going to take until August to roll out through the population. That's really quick. Do you think that, it just like in the stock market, do you think that when a stock may be headed in the right direction, uh, the price, when the price goes to a a 52-week high, it's too late by that point. So I'll I'll give you one very silly example. During the pandemic, I went to shop to Don Mills and I saw Aritzia. Aritzia was the only store that had 30 people in line. And the stock was trading at 15 bucks at the time. And to me, Aritzia is like the condo market today. Today, Aritzia has literally doubled since then. As I posted, I go, man, I think I'm going to buy Aritzia stock. Because of all the stores out here, no one's in line anywhere. But there's like 35 people in lineup for this one store. And to me, I think condos will be kind of like that, where the opportunity window will be open. And then it's going to close. And then what? And then, then people will go back to FOMO. Well, I missed out when the market was better for me. Now I got to get in. So if you guys are, if your listeners are sitting on the fence thinking, well, I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait. You cannot time real estate. It's very, very difficult to do. As long as you can afford this place today and in five years, that's my mantra. Get in. Rates are cheap. Economy's getting better. Vaccines here. Companies are coming back. I mean, what else can I say? Like the programs are here. First time buyer program for pre-construction buyers as well. Get in while you can, when you can, because Toronto... Globally, if you compare our price per square foot, saw a great chart, top 10 cities. We're literally the lowest, the cheapest city in the world out of the top 10 cities to live in index by a mile, not even like a few dollars, by a mile. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I always remind people that too. Yeah, things might not be perfect here, but when you look at at Toronto on the global scale, uh, we are so cheap compared to any other city in our class. It's not even funny. So I think the, you know, eventually we will be a lot more expensive than we are today. Jake, it's been awesome chatting with you again, as always, people want to get a hold of you and reach you. What's the best way for people to do that? Thank you. Uh, thanks again for having me on uh, Twitter at mortgage Jake, mortgage Jake.com. I'm on Instagram mortgage by Jake. Uh, the, the mortgage Jake won't sell me his handle still. So I'm still trying. Uh, and then you can always email me jake at mortgagejake.com or send me a text 416-910-4448 all that information is on my website mortgagejake.com i've got a live chat bot come straight to my phone i'll chat with you right away listen if you have any reason to counter my points i love constructive debate i want to hear what you think and i most importantly want to give you my reasons and here they are and and thanks a lot for listening everyone i really appreciate being on this show Awesome. Great. Talk to you soon, Jake. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to the True Condos Podcast. Remember, your positive reviews make a big difference to the show. To learn more about condo investing, become a True Condos subscriber by visiting truecondos.com.